Alrighty. Uh, so Amy is going to read the scripture for us this morning, which is Exodus 16. Good morning, church. All right, today's readings from Exodus 16, uh, verses 1 to 5. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. This is the word of the Lord. All righty. So maybe a, a slightly familiar story. Uh, so the, we're in Exodus 16 today because it's one of those passages in the scriptures looking at this theme of the wilderness. And, uh, and so we're in week three of this series, Ways in the Wilderness. And to, by way of a bit of a recap, we started in Luke 4, Jesus' experience in the wilderness, being tested, tempted by the devil. And, uh, and really the, the, the point there being that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one who navigates these difficult times like we never really could on our own. And so to cling to him as the one who was able to stay obedient to God through that is really the only way to navigate the tough, difficult or dry times in our life. Um, last week I talked about the fact that we, ha- we have our ways Right? God has his ways of forming us in the wilderness, but we also have our ways, and one of those primary ones is strongholds. We build these ways of, of trying to protect or, or comfort ourselves or mitigate against the anxiety we face in the world, um, which are really substitutes for God himself, who the psalmists and the prophets would say often, God is my stronghold. He is to be our stronghold. And so um, that is one of the ways that we, whatever it is, whatever that looks like, things that we build up around ourselves to try um, to get through the tough times and to walk through life. Um, But unfortunately, they crumble on us. And for me, a key insight, um, just having studied these passages over the last few weeks and preached, a key insight has just been this, this fact that our deepest longing and desire... The thing which we really, really desire in our heart um, is not what it might seem we want and what we think we're going for, we're, we're longing for and, and living for, but it's God Himself. God, God Himself and that relationship with Him is really, really is our deepest longing and desire to hear those words, You are loved, you are my beloved. Um, for me, that's been a key insight. Um, as we go into this this uh, passage now, Exodus 16, the, the desert or the wilderness of sin, uh, or some in some translations of zin. So it's not actually um, any relation to human sin, in case you were wondering uh, when, when we read that, the desert of sin. No, it's zin, 
just a name. Um, but this, um, th- this time out of Egypt and through the wilderness um, for the Israelite people in the book of Exodus is a central and pivotal time in, in Old Testament history, right? So you, you've got this period of time, you know, that God brought the people out of Egypt that keeps being referred back to over and over again in the Scriptures as a, as a key event in Israel's history. Um, if you're not super familiar with the Old Testament narrative, just a, a brief recap. This won't be the most wonderful theological and, and biblical overview you've ever heard, but just very briefly, Bible starts with God created uh, the world and everything and human humankind and Adam and Eve uh, rebel against God. They don't do what, what God has asked and so then they're, they're um, you know, kind of banished from, from the Garden of Eden and then things don't go great from there. Their, um, their descendants continue in a similar kind of pattern. Eventually we get to Noah, right, and Noah is good but pretty much the only one. So things start afresh with the flood, and then Noah's actually not that good after all. He messes up as well. And that's pretty much the story over and over again. People keep messing up, and then we, we get eventually to Abraham, and Abraham's pretty good, but still not that good. Um, and then his children, similar story, and it kind of keeps going in this pattern, but at Abraham, God promises that his descendants will be a great nation, and that through this nation of Eventually, Israel, the Jewish people, God will bless all the others of the earth. And um, we keep going through the history until then. Eventually, the, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, right? Some of Abraham's descendants enslaved in Egypt. And this is where they've ended up. But God uses Moses, chooses Moses as his man to release them out of Egypt with the promise of going into the promised land, right? So this, this story over and over again of humanity's rebellion and messing up and not going and not trusting God until eventually he brings them out of Egypt. And Exodus 16 um, is a really important part of that whole journey because the wilderness that follows the Exodus out of Egypt, right, is it's messy. It's, it's not a pretty time. There's grumbling and there's disobedience again. And it's, it's just, it's not a, wow, now we're out of Egypt and we go into abundance and blessing and it's all handy dandy, right? It's an important part of the whole journey. Um, and it's, I think it's worth noting that uh, this time, this, this initial period in the wilderness, Exodus 16 that we just read, they're there, they're, you know, the manna coming from heaven. It comes right after victory, you know, this, this release and this, this rescue, salvation from Egypt. And it's on the way to prosperity and abundance and blessing. And I think this is worth remembering when we're in a tough season. Um, I, don't know, I know not everybody here is in a, a wilderness experience right now. Some of you are doing great and you're on top of the world. But when we are, it's worth remembering that when we're in a tough season, it's not forever. It can be... A, following a rescue and a salvation and on the way to abundance and blessing. So it's to remember that it doesn't last forever. It might sometimes last for a long time, but that it, it's not endless. It gives us hope and it gives us um, something to, to, to hold on to. And this was the experience of the Israelites. It's right after victory. It's on the way to the promised land. Uh, now, we only read the beginning of Exodus 16. Uh, just to, I just wanted to give the context. So they're in this desert and they begin to grumble and God you know drops these um, 
these flakes, these, these, this food, this thing called manna from heaven to provide for them and then to go and collect it days one to six and then double on the sixth day and so on. So um, I just wanted to read the beginning to give the context. What happens after that is they begin to learn what happens when they do or don't actually obey what God said. So they go out and they collect, but then they, they collect too much and so any of you know the story, right, that the, they collect too much food and then the next day it's got maggots in it because they were supposed to trust God each day. But on the seventh, the sixth day, they're supposed to collect double, but won't it have maggots in it again? No, it, it lasts on that day and there's nothing on the seventh day because they're supposed to rest on that day and then it's back to that again. And so as we read through this chapter, you can go read it uh, all, all the way through at home. I think that there are little lessons along the way that God was teaching them, all really part of one big lesson of him being their provider. But there's, there's a number of individual things. And each of these things God was teaching his people in this, that, are, that are highlighted in this chapter maybe are things God would want to show us and teach us and help us learn in a wilderness season or experience. So my goal today is fairly simple. It's just to point out, I don't even remember how many, maybe seven or eight of these little lessons, these little things we can learn and grow in, um, in a wilderness experience, so that you may, in whatever you're going through right now, or whatever you have been through, or are going to go through in the future, you can go, what is the one or two small, like, what are the one or two things that God may be wanting to teach me or, or grow in me? Um, in a season like this. Is that all right? So seven or eight or nine, however many there are, um, little lessons. uh, And I just want you to keep an eye out, not for like, okay, how can I think about every single one of these, but what's one or two, three max, that I'm to be learning and growing in in this season of my life? So... In no specific order, uh, here's some of them. Um, I, I think one of the things God does is prepares us to handle abundance. And he does that by teaching us to accept just enough. So that the scripture here, the one who gathered much of this, this food, this manna that, that fell from the sky, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Right, just as much as they needed. Uh, I think it's fair to say we have more than we need as people who live in Perth, WA, right, in terms of material blessings and, 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 our, and our way of life, and that's a danger sometimes. God knows exactly what we need. He knows the just enough, and more than that can often be, if not useless, potentially detrimental if we rely on it. Um, wilderness experiences may be an experience of having just enough, not necessarily in material things, but just enough energy or just enough time or just enough motivation or just enough relationship. Um, and and it show, they can show us that that might be healthy. That might be good for us in comparison to more than enough, more than enough, and this abundance we are so used to living with in our, um, in our Western society. Right? We, we've become, I think it's fair to say, addicted to more. Right? More time, more energy, more money, more, 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 more. And so I think preparing us 
to handle abundance is one thing God does when we go through tough times. Just enough. He says, I'll give, I'll give you just enough, day at a time. Maybe that's a, a lesson for us that we can keep an eye on. Testing our trust is another thing he does. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So this food God provides for them, just enough. You don't need any more. Just collect what you need for today. But they didn't listen. And I think it's easy to trust God when we can see his provision for the next week and the next year. And it's, it's all secure and safe for us. But, but, but what about when that provision God provides is just day at a time? Every day. And we need him to come through again. And we need him to come through again. And then we need him to come through again. I'm so amazed at how quickly I fall back into like worry and a lack of faith when all of a sudden I need him again to sustain or again to provide or again to, to, to give me what I need for some task or some need. Um, when things are all good, it's easy to say, I trust you because he's already provided and it's all there for us. But, um, but when it's like, again, I need you, God, again, I need you, God, it, that really tests our trust. And it's not just in relation to material things. Maybe you're in a, a line of work or, or uh, you know, your, your well-being is based on having inspiration and creativity. Anyone like in, in an arti- more artistic field, it's like that's what you need. You need inspiration and creativity. You don't need more money and time. You just you need those ideas. And, and there's times where you've just got nothing. And you, you, re, you rely on God. I, I need you again today, God, to give me just enough. Maybe it's energy to parent or to do your job or, or, or break new ground in some way that God has called you to, to minister and to serve. So it's, just, it's energy you need, but you've got chronic fatigue. And so now every day, it's a trusting exercise. Am I going to have enough for today, God? Now that tests us and that grows us, that grows our faith and our trust. So I think these wilderness series seasons can test our trust. Uh, another thing they can do is show us what his provision looks like. Uh, I think this is a really interesting part of this passage. When, it, when the Israelites saw it, the food, the manna, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Do you know what the, man, the word manna means? What is it? That's literally what, what they called it. The food that was dropping from the sky, they, what is it? What? We don't know. <laughs> it's called, it, what is it? That's what it is. It's what is it. It's easy to be asking God to provide for our needs and not recognise his provision. And, and I think it's only in a, in a tough season, a wilderness season, we might look at something that seems unfamiliar or it seems irrelevant and, and you know, like, what's, what's that? What's that got to do with anything? And consider that it might actually be what we need and God's put it right there in front of us. Now, that doesn't happen when we have everything we need. You know, or, or if we, we have lots of options to provide for the things that we need. But when we're in a dry place or, or a tough place and it's like, oh, I just need you in some way, God, then maybe the provision looks like something we weren't necessarily expecting. So what are we in need of and then we're just not recognising 
what he's giving. I was thinking of doing an experiment as kind of an illustration of this. Uh, this, is, this is not a great metaphor, but anyway, th- this is what was, was going in my mind. Imagine if I was to go to Woolies or something and, uh, and just walked up to a stranger and said, hey, I, I just want to help you out and encourage you in, in whatever is challenging you in your life right now. And so you can either have this $100 bill or uh, $100 bill, do Australians say that, $100 note. Um, or I can say a prayer for you and give you this invitation to church on Sunday. Well, like, I wonder what people would take, right? They're probably, or well, whether the strings attached. But if, let's say we just convinced them there's no strings attached. It's whatever you think is going to provide for your needs and your challenges most right now. Presumably, most people would take the $100, right? And $100 for a few people might be what provision looks like. But how many people would look at a gathering of Christians, a community of faith, a family of faith, and think, yeah, that might be the answer to my needs, my struggles right now? I wonder how many would would think that. Obviously, I don't think it is that many, you know. Would they look at the community of faith, a gathering of Christians, and go, what is it? Right? Like the, the Israelites did with the manna. What is it? Maybe a better question is, what would, what would we take? You know, $100 or, okay, you know, what if it was $1,000? No, don't answer that. Uh, you know, it's a bad metaphor, but again, what, what are we looking for when it comes to God's providing for our needs. Are we looking at something and going, well, that doesn't really seem to match what I was looking for, but it might be exactly what God's providing. Learning to trust his word over logic or observation, I think is another interesting lesson in, in, in wilderness seasons. Um, the scripture says, tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Now bear in mind every other day as they had been disobedient to God in trying to collect more, what happens the next day? The manna is full of maggots. It doesn't last. Then on day six, God says, yeah, this time it will last. Okay, Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Right? It's the same stuff. <laughs> Why would it not have maggots in it the next day? But this is, this is what God says. You, you're going to have to trust that what you see logically and what, what, what seems to make sense is not the way it's going to be this time around. That was God's instruction. I, you know, I've personally I've found that difficult, like wilderness kind of seasons, experiences can be disorientating for sure and, and, and difficult. But they also for me at least, get me to a point where they help me just give in to God's seemingly illogical directions and guidance. Does that, does that make sense? So it's like it, I've got less to lose when things aren't all that great. If things are great and it's like God seems to be saying to do something that doesn't make sense, it's like oh, I, don't, I don't need to do that right now. Things are great. If things are not going so well... Yeah, we can say, well, I'll just push on. I'll, 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 um, I'll, I'll dig deep and I'll just push through this difficult season. But if things are not going so great, I, I think sometimes it takes us to the point where we say, you know what? What have we got to lose? 
If God seems to be saying this and it doesn't seem to be logical, it doesn't seem to make sense, but what have I got to lose? Let's just go with the word of the Lord. (laughs) Take Sabbath as an example, right? The principle of taking that day of rest, one in every seven. When you're uh, fruitful and, and productive, uh, in whatever that looks like in your life, a season of kind of blessing and abundance and you're energetic and motivated, why stop and rest? Because that's a wasted opportunity. That, that, that's, that seventh day is, a, is one, one seventh of our time and energy to use to produce and to do more. But when you're struggling, yeah, you could also say, I can't afford to rest, right? I need to keep pushing through to provide for my family or whatever. Or you could go, well, what choice do I have? Let's just try God's way. Let's just try God's way. That leads me to the next thing, which I think is important. Oh, it's already on the screen, learning to rest. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none, right? Anybody experience this? It's like, well, I'm, you know, God said there's, there's nothing more to gain here, but I'm just going to go anyway because sense would, you know, common sense would say we've got to go out, we've got to try and collect. They go out, there's nothing there. You know, when we keep pushing and pushing um, and going, well, I've got, to, I've got to keep working, I've got to keep trying more in my own strength, the wilderness experience can just help us go, oh, there's, there's nothing here to gain on this seventh day. Now, whether that's literally your, your weekend, a day on your weekend, or whether that's that holiday that you need to be taking at a certain point in the year, in a, in a wilderness kind of season, I think God can, can sort of say, look, I, I, I told you, see, that I gave you enough already. There's nothing more for you here to keep striving for, to keep working for. Just stop. <laughs> I think actually Sabbath may be the single most effective way of Jesus to combat the problems of this world. Now, that's, that might seem like a strange statement. Well, what do you, what do you mean? Like taking a day off is, the, is going to combat the problems of this world? Actually, I think, I think it, it, it does. Um, there's very little chance that, uh, that, that anyone, even, even Christians a lot of the time, are going are gonna to take this up as a, as a powerful anxiety fighting, peace-giving thing, if everything's going really, really well for us, right? If everything is going well and it's like, oh, I've got everything I need, we just keep, we keep doing what we think we're supposed to be doing, keep going, keep pushing, keep, keep uh, producing because we're enjoying it and it's, it's only when God takes us into a difficult place is what I'm saying. It's only when we're in that wilderness place where maybe we go, you know what, maybe God's saying, stop. Let me, let me do my thing. <laughs> let me provide. Uh, another lesson, and this is a tough one, I think. Um, I think one of the things that we're learning in this space was, was about practicing God's pattern until it's engraved in our heart and our mind. The Israelites ate manna 40 years. <laughs> 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I think my maths is right here. 52 weeks in a year, 40 years. That's like two th- over 2,000 times, right? Collect, 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 collect. Don't collect. 
Or, you know, like days one to five, collect the manna. Day six, collect double. Next day, rest. 2,000 times of that pattern. 2,000 weeks or more, actually, because it was just over 40 years. Over and over and over and over again. And I think this highlights that sometimes the difficult, the the wilderness lessons uh, that God's trying to uh, teach us need to become so second nature um, that when we're in a good place and we don't really need, so to speak, where we don't really need to practice his ways anymore. You know, like when it's actually we don't need to live by the patterns God has put in place because we have everything we need. It's a, we're blessed. We're, it's, it's an abundant life we're living in. That when we're in that place, we do it anyway. We do what God has put in place anyway because it's so ingrained in us from the challenging times, the dry times. Does that make sense? Like, I, I, I've, I know for me I've found that whatever pattern um, God has encouraged me to try and live by, whether it's a morning rhythm or whether it's a, a, a Sabbath rhythm on a weekly level, whether it's a, um, a, you know, a, a, a seasonal time of rest, whether it's um, prayer at certain times in the day, whether it's what I do with my kids, whether it's what, whatever it might be, whatever kind of pattern that is ordained by God for our well-being and our blessing, when things are going well, it's like, yeah, they're not really that important anymore because things seem to be going well. It's when things are challenging that they get ingrained in us, that they just become natural and and just a, a pattern in our lives that continues in good times because we need them all the time. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think there is a pattern, a rhythm a way of going about our life that is uh, uh, shaped by the evil one, that is shaped by the one who's called the king of this world, the father of lies. Uh, and he wants us to live by that pattern so that we, it, it, it leads to our destruction. God, on the other hand, has a pattern, a rhythm, a way, ways of us living. And he wants us to conform to that. And sometimes a wilderness experience is designed to take one of these things, maybe something I've mentioned today, and ingrain it so deeply that it becomes second nature, even if it takes 40 years. I think there's two left. One is uh, I think God in these difficult seasons of our life likes to weed out the grumbling. Um, In the desert, the whole community, this is going back to the beginning of the passage, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Um, anybody aware of the grumbling spirit deep down inside them? Uh, I mean, for me, I just realised like it's there. It's like it's inside somewhere, and I can I can you know hide it and push it down for a certain amount of time, but it's just dormant. And then the pressure and the hardship hardship comes, and it's like it's it's just creeping up to the surface, and then it's like grumble, 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 grumble. Right? There's something about this grumbling spirit. However dormant it is in our life and however much we think it's not there anymore, that God just, he isn't satisfied to leave it unaddressed. He chooses to weed it out, just get 
get it out. Like I had the, this experience this week. Oh, I thought I had a great attitude about certain things happening in my life. I thought I was sort of, yeah, I'm more, I'm more grateful and positive and joyful now until things didn't go so well for a few days and then I found myself grumbling again, grumbling to God. And it, it kind of felt like God went, there it is, and, and just, you know, doused it with petrol. Okay, good, we got rid of that little bit now. Uh, and I wonder what's still down there waiting to come out again. We've got to let God weed out. Uh, maybe there's a better metaphor. You know, like, is it? Like maybe like fish, you know, there he is, you know, grab it, right? Get rid of that, that grumbling spirit within and let him replace, that repenting of that attitude. I mean, it's about repentance, repenting of that attitude and letting God replace it with gratitude. Finally, um, just to finish off, uh, the very next chapter, the grumbling spirit comes back again. So this is Exodus 17 now. And uh, they reached the point where now it's not food they're lacking, it's water they're lacking. And the Israelites say, well, we're going to die of thirst. And God uh, says to Moses, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Um, I don't know if this has been helpful today, just going through a number of different things in, in Exodus 16. What's the one or two lessons that it might be that uh, you're... God's wanting you to learn or a way that God wants you to grow. But I think with this one, this, this reality that God is a God of miracles, God is a God who can bring water from a rock, um, reminds us that miracles aren't necessarily, um, so that, uh, miracles aren't necessary in the land of abundance. They're not necessary for us when we, when we don't need them. It's the simplest way to put it, when, when, every, when we have everything we need. They're necessary when you're about to die of thirst and there's no water. And there's no water. They're necessary. Miracles are necessary when we just go to God. God, I got nothing. I need your help. I need you. I need you to do something. Um, and I think God wants us to trust Him for the miraculous. What only He can do, not just in the wilderness, the difficult seasons, but in good times as well. It's just that we're only going to ask in the wilderness. So sometimes we need them. But as I was thinking about this over the last couple of days, I don't think it's about God saying, uh, you know, I'm a God who just, I'm just a God who can bring water from a rock. I'm a God who can do miracles in your life. I think God would want to say to us, I want to. That he's a God who wants to bring water from a rock. And he wants us to come to him and say, God, I just need you. That he's not a God who would say, oh, I'm going to set all of the laws of physics in place. I'm going to set everything up and it's all good for you. And now I'm going to retreat into my safety of heaven and leave you all to it, human beings. But he's actually a God who wants to be right in it with us, no matter how grumbling we might be, and say, I want to respond to your needs by breaking the laws of physics. <laughs> I want to respond to your needs um, in a way that shows you I care about you and I'm there for you when you need me. Because it boils down to the, heart, the desire of our hearts is not the stuff he can give us. The desire of our hearts is him. It's God himself. Um, and so I want us to just stand as we, uh, and the music team can come up. And... Um, There's uh, 
there's a, f- a number of things I've I've run through today, and maybe maybe uh, a lot of it you've wondered. Well, I don't re- I don't really get that, Luke. I'm not sure what it's about, but I wonder if there's just one thing um, in the concept of God providing for His people and doing that one day at a time in a way that challenges us to trust Him in the circumstances that we're in. That causes you to go, yeah, I think that's what God's doing in me and how he's wanting to grow my faith. Um, so let's pray that God just shows us what that one or two, those one or two things are. Father, I, I thank you that you're a God who's not distant. You're a God who's not just set the world up in the way it's meant to run and then left and said, hey, have fun, you know, do what you need to do and I'll come back one day. But you're a God who's present with us. You're a God who's present with us, not just when we're perfectly obedient to you, but you're a God who's present with us and would would do miracles to provide for our needs, even when our attitude's not quite right, even when we're grumbling. And Father, if it's a pattern that you have ordained, like Sabbath, that you want us to put in place in our lives, if it's a, a learning to trust you in all things, whatever it is, Lord, Lord Jesus, that you want to do in us today. We pray that you would grow us to be more like you. Because, Lord, we know that you're more interested in what you're doing in us than what you want to do through us. And so we, we invite your formation, Lord God. Form us, mould us, even if it's difficult sometimes to become more like Jesus.